I'm really excited this evening for you because not only did you get to be a part of a baby dedication, um, but you also um, get to hear from Pastor Jessica as she preaches her first sermon at the table. How exciting is that? No one ever clapped for me that way. It's okay. It's okay. But just to, to help lower, set the stage a little a little bit about Jessica. Um, and I want to tell you the first time I ever heard Jessica Breslin's name. But to tell you that, I have to tell you about the worst experience in the history of the table. Um, we were a fledgling church plant. Um, we were meeting on H Street in this old um, church building that was falling apart in, a, in, the, in the fellowship hall. And we had these folding chairs. And there were about 40 or 50 of us who were gathering on Sundays. Few of you remember those days. And, um, and we had landed a nationally known speaker. Like, this is someone who spoke to crowds of thousands of people. And our fledgling church plant had convinced this person to come and speak with us. I was so stoked. Now, Jessica Breslin did not work for us because all we had was back then. And so there was no fancy itineraries that went out or anything like that. Um, and everyone is like, well, when's the speaker going to get here? And I said, they'll be here soon. I had confirmed that week that everything was set up and everything was, everything was a go. And so it's about, it's, service was at 5 p.m. back then, um, like it is here. And uh, so at 4.30, the speaker still wasn't there. And at 4.45, a few of the people are getting a bit nervous. But I was like, it's, it's going to be okay. They're going to show. I've never had anyone not show. Um, at 5, they're still not there. But you know, it's going to be fine. Um, we have four songs. So we get two songs in, and the speaker still hasn't arrived yet. And then three songs in, and then four songs in. And then it's time for a speaker to go up and begin to preach. There's no speaker. So the, um, Caleb Scott, who some of you know, who was a seminarian and our associate pastor at the time, um, Caleb always had a pocket sermon, so Caleb got up and just began to stall. I think he talked about communion or the Eucharist or something for like 20, 25 minutes. Finally, at 6 p.m., we had been scrambling person. They'd totally forgotten about it. At 6 p.m., they come rolling in. It's the most stressed I've ever been. But here's the good part about the her, the this, this speaker, her executive assistant was Jessica Breslin. You didn't know that story, did you? Jessica everything right. She had reminded her on Friday and again on Saturday, had put it in her calendar, had done everything she should have done. It wasn't Jessica's fault. But I didn't know this at the time, and I just knew that her assistant was Jessica Breslin, and it was probably her fault that she had not arrived. So, fast forward a couple years, I don't know, fast forward a year, maybe six months, six months, and, um, and Pastor Angela comes to me because she knows how desperately we need administrative help, and she's like, you know, we have discover where you go through and find about your gifts and get engaged in the church. And, and, and she said, Kevin, um, you're never going to believe it. We had someone come through tonight with a gift of administration. I think they would be an incredible addition to the team to help us organize things. And I was like, that's phenomenal. What's the person's name? And she's like, Jessica Breslin. And I was like, no, no, no way. <laughs> it turns out it wasn't Jessica's fault. 
Um, and we decide to give her a second chance because we believe in grace. And um, Jessica has become an integral part of our team. And what you may not know is that when we launched the location in Northwest D.C., that location would not exist today without Pastor Jessica. Um, my father was really sick um, with cancer during the period leading up to that launch. In fact, he died a couple weeks before we launched our location in Northwest D.C. And, and the only reason that that location is there today and was able to launch was because of Pastor Jessica and her dedication and her incredible leadership skills. And um, we eventually hired her on as our chief of staff and then finally um, as an executive pastor. And I am just so um, proud of Jessica and the way that she leads and the way that she loves people well. And I'm excited for you to get to hear from her this evening um, at her, with her first sermon here at the table. Um, Jessica is also uh, currently a student at Fuller Theological Seminary. And then the other reason I'm spending so much time talking about um, Jessica this evening um, is because one of my uh, responsibilities as lead pastor is to appoint an interim minister, someone who will lead us through the interim until we hire a new pastor, until we hire a new pastor. Um, and uh, I've been working with the, the Board of Trustees, and I'm excited to announce um, that Jessica is going to be the interim lead pastor here at the table. And I just couldn't think of anyone better to lead us through this next season. Um, can we give her a round of applause for It's that moment where she begins looking at me like you've been up there long enough. It's, it's time to move. But one last thing I want to tell you. One last thing. Her sermon's short. It'll be fine. I, I, I've, I've had the chance to, to look at some of the applications coming in um, for people applying to be your next lead pastor. And I want to tell you, it's making me kind of anxious because these people are remarkable. Um, they are, they're remarkable communicators. They have to submit a video so we kind of see what, they, what kind of communicator they are. They're so much better than I am. And I'm like, this is making me nervous because I was like, you all kind of thought communicator, but now you're a communicator and you're going to know that you've had all these years. I'm kidding. Um, it's kind of. Um, but but I, I'm just... I just want to let you know that I believe with all of my heart that God has an amazing lead pastor out there for you um, and that the best is yet to come for the Table Church. Um, and so I'm just so excited about everything. I'm so excited about Pastor Jessica's leadership, and I'm excited about what comes next to the table. Okay, I'm done. Come and leave us in the morning. Well, thank you, Kevin, for those kind words. This morning, I started to thank him, and I thought that he was walking out, and it was actually just a different tall man, but now he is actually leaving. So thanks, Kevin. Thanks for trusting me with this. <laughs> but in, uh, in all sincerity, I am, even though he's not in here, I can still tell you, I am very grateful um, to be part of a church that invests in its leaders. And I am really grateful uh, to Kevin for investing in me four years ago, even though he thought that I was terrible at my job. Uh, <laughs> because if it was not for him, I would not be here today. So thank you, Kevin, and thank you uh, to our board of trustees just for the opportunity to lead you all during this transition season. Um, it has been honestly just a huge 
blessing and privilege to be able to serve in the different roles that I've held uh, here at the table. And so I'm excited about this next season. I'm excited to serve uh, as the lead pastor during this interim, um, but also just to lead you all through this next transition season. I know that God has really amazing things in store for us as a community, and I am grateful uh, that you all are going to be part of that next season that we're stepping into confidently. So over the past several weeks, we have been walking through this series that basically roots who we are as a community. Uh, So Pastor Richard and Pastor Angela, they first walked through all of our table values. Love God, love people, pursue excellence, live generously, and... Yeah, you all sounded like so excited to have fun when you said that. And have fun. And then uh, last week, Becky discussed what it means to be a thoughtful follower of Jesus. And today, I'm going to talk about what it means to be an authentic follower of Jesus. And of course, these two things stem from our mission statement here at the table. The table exists to call people to become authentic and thoughtful followers of Jesus and to join God in the renewal of all things. And then next week... Pastor Kevin will give his last sermon here at the table as lead pastor, and you all are invited to stick around after service in our fellowship hall around 6.30 p.m. We're going to have just a little uh, celebration and send-off, so make sure you stop by, say thank you to him and Charla and Eloise for everything that they have poured into this church. Um, Yeah, just send them off with lots of love. If you normally attend our morning service, totally fine. You can, of course, still stop by. I think we'll wrap up around 6.30, and... um, you can, you can send him off well. So the word authentic, it was, it was pretty cool and trendy uh, when the church launched in 2013, but it was also this term uh, that was full of truth and good intentions at that point in society. Now, unfortunately, over the past uh, six years, society has sort of spun the meaning of the word authentic thanks to uh, Instagram and social media culture. And now uh, we're seeing things that are actually not so authentic when we're giving that label. For example, if you go to Instagram and you type in hashtag authentic, you will find 10.3 million posts of people sharing images of what they believe to actually be authentic. When the reality is the majority of the posts are staged and they are not really close to authentic at all. Is there a picture up here? Yes, excellent. So for example... Uh, That girl's hair looks great. As soon as she gets out of the car, it's going to look like crap. (laughs) That food up there looks so delicious and tasty. Even though it photographs well, it might actually taste like garbage. But my favorite is this couple right here who, like, they don't actually hang out in trees gazing into each other's eyes. That is the least authentic thing that you have ever seen. I mean, maybe they do, but it's highly doubtful. So today, you see that we have a challenge before us to truly identify what authentic means uh, in society today, but more importantly, what it means to be an authentic follower of Jesus. So before we do that, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to worship you today. Thank you for bringing all of these people here safely. We just praise you for the opportunity to be in your presence. We praise you for meeting us here, and I pray, Lord, that from my words you would speak, and that every person in this room would walk away with something, Lord. Would you open their eyes, open their ears, open their hearts, open their minds 
to what you want them to walk away with, God. I pray, Lord, that you would remove any anxiety from me, that my words would be you, straight from you, God, and that we would walk away stronger, believing um, just more deeply in your love for us and in who you have called us to be. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so I studied psychology in undergrad, um, and one of the most troubling theories to me is this idea presented by Paul Turnier. Now, Turnier was a Calvinist uh, turned universalist, so we're not diving into his theology. Don't, like, come at me later about how bad his theology is. Uh, We are putting our focus on this sort of wacky theory that he puts forward, and basically he says... Uh, that there is this inward person, who we really are, and an outward personage, which is who we portray ourselves to be to others. And we have this innate desire to bring them into harmony with one another. And when we can't do that, we're basically practicing hypocrisy. And he says that we all do this on some scale, which is true, right? We, uh, we try to be knowledgeable on a certain subject when maybe we might actually kind of be ignorant to it. We just, like, fake it till we make it. Uh, we try to appear confident when we're scared. Or maybe we are putting rose-colored glasses on our Instagram story and writing awesome captions about how happy and how great life is when really we're broken and struggling on the inside. But the wild problem with this idea is that all humans do it even though what they really desire is to be able to confidently portray their inward self to others and be accepted for it. So being able to do this successfully, I believe, might be the definition of what it means to practice authenticity. But we are called to take that one step further. And at our church, we have decided that our mission will be that we're called to be an authentic follower of Jesus. So to understand what it means to be an authentic follower of Jesus, we are going to be looking at the life of Peter throughout Scripture. To begin, I did a little bit of crowdsourcing on my Instagram story, and I asked folks what they understood the true meaning of authenticity to be. I got things like genuine, honest, true to self, true to others, transparent to a fault, messy. But the word that I got the most was vulnerable. And so we are going to jump into scripture where we see Peter in his most vulnerable state before the Lord. Peter was one of Jesus' disciples, so he was right there walking alongside Jesus during his time on earth, learning right from him. He was one of his good friends. And we are going to jump into a moment uh, that Jesus and Peter have together. This is right before Jesus' death on the cross, while he and his disciples were eating together. And he basically warns Peter that uh, he's actually going to deny him, deny knowing him. So we are in John 13, 36 through 38. Feel free to turn to it on your smartphones, because you probably don't carry around Bibles with you. But it's also going to be on the screen. So we are in verse 36. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Jump ahead to after Jesus is betrayed. He's being held by the Romans, and shortly he's going to be handed over to be crucified. And Peter is outside the high priest's courtyard when a servant speaks to him. Or in John 18, verse 17. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. 
He replied, I am not. Jump down to verse 25. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself by the fire. And so they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. This is a perfect example of Peter portraying himself to be something that he's not. Five chapters earlier, Peter just told Jesus that he would not deny knowing him, that he would lay down his life for him. And now he's denying him, denying having any relationship with him. After Jesus is killed, can you imagine what Peter must have been going through? Not just the pain of losing someone that he loved, but the shame and the guilt of denying him. And not just denying knowing a friend, but denying knowing God. If you would turn now to John 21, 15, this is where we start to see vulnerability in action. So after Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, he appears to several people. And in John 21, Jesus is standing on the shore of the Sea of Tiberias, and some of the disciples are out fishing. And basically, Jesus performs this mini-miracle. He makes an abundance of fish show up. They think it's just a stranger yelling at them to cast their nets on the other side of the boat. It's actually Jesus. They get all these fish, and then the disciples are like, oh, yo, bro, he did rise from the dead. Like, that's him on the shore. And then Scripture makes it clear that Peter jumps into the water fully clothed to swim ashore and meet Jesus. There are some strange theories on that, too, but I think that's something we will just figure out when we get to heaven. Like, why did you put all your clothes on before you jumped in the water and swam to shore? But we're going to pick up the story in verse 15, uh, when Peter and Jesus had just finished eating breakfast together. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. A third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus replies, feed my sheep. Peter denied Jesus three times. And then Jesus asked him three times if he really does love him. But you see, Peter understands that he has no other option right now but to be real with God in this moment. He has no other option but to be vulnerable before Jesus in this space. Peter's thinking, I'm not going to sit in your presence and pretend to be something I'm not. I'm not going to be held down by my past mistakes. I'm not going to be held down by the shame and the guilt that I was just feeling because I denied knowing you. He says, I'm going to be vulnerable before you because you already know everything there is to know about me anyways. And by opening myself up to you, by expressing the fact that I love you boldly, by being vulnerable, you're going to teach me how I'm going to be used by you. And that's exactly what happens. Peter is vulnerable before Jesus. And then Jesus, if you keep reading in scripture, he takes the opportunity to tell Peter what's next for him. He takes the opportunity to tell him, you're not those past mistakes. I actually have an incredible plan for your life. And you're going to go so far advancing my kingdom that you're actually going to die for it. And by Peter being vulnerable before Jesus in this moment, it would lead Peter to being vulnerable with others, which we're going to see in a bit. 
Being an authentic follower of Jesus means getting real before God. So often we claim that authenticity is about being vulnerable with others, but if you can't come clean before the Lord, if you cannot come as your true self, that inner person, then your mission to be an authentic follower of Jesus is not going to come to fruition. We have to surrender any idea that we are right, any idea that we have it all together, and get honest before God. Because it's only Jesus who can offer you that grace and compassion that you need to reconcile with your true selves and present ourselves as vulnerable before God. So that's the first step to being an authentic follower of Jesus. And it's only Jesus who can show you your true identity in in him anyways, which is going to lead us to the second piece. So what is our identity? Scripture tells us in Genesis that we are made in the image of God. Of course, sin entered the world and our identity became tarnished by it. But because of Jesus, we are given this new identity whereby Jesus' ultimate sacrifice, we have a new life in him. That's the center of the gospel. And that's the identity that God sees us through. When Peter was having breakfast with Jesus and he was asked over and over and over again if he loved him, I think Peter was probably having flashbacks to the first time that Jesus called him and the first time that Jesus gave him a new identity. Luke 5 recalls the story. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets, and he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, also called Peter. And he asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. A little tangent, it's pretty cool that there were so many people that wanted to listen to Jesus teach that he actually had to like separate himself a little bit, hop into a boat, float away, just so that they could all see him and hear him. Like, he's a cool dude. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. We see Peter being vulnerable here again. Peter doubted Jesus' instruction to cast his nets on the other side. And when he realized that he was wrong, he was ashamed and he told Jesus, go away from me. Like, I'm not worthy to be in your presence. But the larger narrative here is that we see Peter turning from who he was to what he was supposed to become. Jesus said, don't be afraid. Now you will do something new. Peter was a fisherman, which was not and is not a glamorous job, as you can imagine. Uh, Every time I go home, my dad makes me watch that HGTV show, Deadliest Catch with him. And it is, it's, like, so brutal. He thinks it's awesome. We, like, grew up on the water, so he loves, like, all the boats, all the water things. And I'm just like, 
dude, this is gross. Like, I don't want to watch this. It's brutal. And I don't know if Peter actually lived and worked in such those such conditions, the same as, like, Alaskan deep-sea fishermen. But the point is that fishermen were working in all sorts of conditions, the heat, the cold, the rain or shine. They often worked nights, meaning less time with their families, less time at home. I'm sure it was pretty smelly. And the job required a lot of patience. Just to get out to sea, I was doing some research on, like, fishermen during the Mediterranean world. And they would hand-stitch their nets from linen. They then would drill holes into tiny little stones, sew them onto the nets so that the nets could be weighted down. Then they would go out to sea, cast their nets, and they would just wait, not knowing what would come of their catch, not knowing what would come of their livelihood. But then Jesus comes along, and he takes Peter's identity and offers him the opportunity to transform it into something even greater. He says, don't be afraid. I have something even better in store for you. He takes Peter's ability to work long hours his ability to be patient, his ability to endure during stormy conditions, and he gives him a new identity rooted in Jesus. He says, from now on, you will fish for people. Jesus takes the qualities that God put in Peter, and he uses them to advance his kingdom. And Peter could have said no, but he doesn't. Scripture is clear. They left everything and followed him. Friends, being an authentic follower of Jesus means actually following Jesus. Not playing the part, not just going to church, and I promise I'm preaching to myself right now too. It means putting down your own worldly identity, your own fishing nets, whatever it is that you are grasping onto and seeing as the ultimate way that you define yourself, and choosing to put that in the hands of Jesus. Because if you don't lay it before God, you're going to keep striving for meaning and certainty with that identity in hopes that you'll be able to reconcile that inward self with how you're portraying yourself to others, and it's not going to happen. It's just something you're going to keep striving for. But when we lay it before Jesus, we give God the opportunity to either use it or to remove it. For some of you, you have been defining yourself by your job or your cause or a role that you play, maybe. I know that's true because it's D.C., And I certainly do it. You know, hi, I'm Jessica. I'm the pastor at a non-denominational church in D.C. Or if I'm on an airplane, hey, I'm Jessica. I'm the executive director at a nonprofit. And please don't ask me any other questions because no one wants to sit next to a pastor for three hours on an airplane. Nor do I really, you know, want to hear about their life problems for three hours on an airplane. But I do want to hear about everything going on in your life and we'll happily have a three-hour coffee with you. But greater than the identities that we put on ourselves, Ephesians 2.10 says, You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Don't box yourself into a title or a role, but let God reveal your authentic self and the purpose that he has for your life. And then use it. Let him use that identity just like he did Peter's. For others of you, It might mean recognizing that in Christ, who we are now is not who we were. You are not your past mistakes. You are not your shame. You are not your guilt. You are not whatever demeaning quality someone else might have said over your life and you took it to be true. 
You are a beloved child of God made in his image. Broken by the ills of this world, yes, but you've been given a new identity. Thanks to Jesus and his ultimate sacrifice, God doesn't see you by those same negative things that you see yourself as. And in Jesus, we have been equipped for a life of love because of his renewing power. Let God remove that identity that you've taken on that is tarnishing who you are. Once we grasp this, everything changes. Once we make it to here and we can own our identity found in Jesus, the final piece is to create intentional community where we can actually practice it, where we can actually practice being authentic followers of Jesus and maintaining a space where all people are welcome to that authenticity. One last story of Peter. We're moving pretty far ahead to the book of Acts, uh, chapter 11. Now, a lot has happened between where we left Peter and where we're going to pick up now. Basically, uh, Jesus commissions his disciples. He goes up to heaven. The Holy Spirit comes down, and his disciples get going, and they start spreading the gospel. At this time, early followers of Jesus were primarily teaching and converting other Jews. Jesus was Jewish, as were his disciples. So at this time, there were basically three levels in the first century Mediterranean world. And this is important uh, to recognize before we jump into Acts 11. So there were these three categories. The first uh, were Jews by ethnic and religious heritage. So that's like Jesus. That's like his disciples. The second was proselytes. And these were Gentiles who embraced Judaism and the sign of the covenant, which is circumcision. And then the third group, they were called God-fearers. And these were basically Gentiles on the periphery who identified with the culture and the practices of Judaism. So they prayed to God, they gave uh, money to the poor, they went to synagogue, things like that. But they had not embraced the sign of the covenant. So we are going to jump into Acts 11, keep all that in mind. And Acts 11 is basically the Sparknotes version of everything that happened in Acts 10. Acts 10 is really long, and I originally was going to read it all to you. But now we're going to read Acts 11, and you all can go home and read Acts 10, because it's actually a pretty exciting story. Um, So Peter is basically explaining what happened in chapter 10 to a group, we're going to call them haters, and they basically belong to this first category of Jews. So they are Jewish by ethnic and religious heritage, and they have issues with uncircumcised Gentiles. So we are in Acts 11, verse 1. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them? Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. And what he's, about to sell, what he's about to tell them is the story from Acts 10. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance, I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Now, the animals that he was seeing in this dream, these were basically animals that were deemed ritually unclean, Uh, according to the law of Moses. So this is what he has been, how he's been practicing his life, basically not to eat, touch these animals. Goes on in verse 7. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. 
This happened three times. And then it was all pulled up to heaven again. The sheet was gone. Right then, three men, we're seeing a theme here with Peter. Three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them, and we entered the man's house. Now, the man that he's referring to, this man is Cornelius, which in Acts 10 verse 2, we basically learn that Cornelius belonged to that third category of people. So he was a God-fearer. So verse 13 says, He, Cornelius, told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. And he will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. And then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift... He gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections, and they praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. And just like that, a movement that the religious folks thought was just for the Jews became something for everyone, and the first Gentile was converted. Now, it's important to grasp that Peter was a religious dude, and even he had to be corrected by God and told that everyone is welcome in God's kingdom. Like, he didn't get that, and he was literally living his life with Jesus. God was saying, Peter, this movement, this grace, it's not just for you. This is not just for people who look like you or act like you or live like you. This is for all people. Now get moving. Now, we're a pretty cool church. We have folks that uh, intentionally serve outside of our church walls. I think we take up the call to love our neighbor really well, and it's one of the things that I'm so proud of in this community. We have folks that serve in our food ministry. We have folks that uh, get together in teams to do resume writing workshops to make sure that folks can get employment and do something that's meaningful for them, gives them purpose. We have folks that are loving people who are unhoused in this city. But I think, and I know I do this too, we take up the call to love our neighbor, but often we've decided in advance who that neighbor is going to be. And I think like Peter, because of this, we often counterfeit the love of God by following our own natural human emotions and understandings. I'll love this person, but not that person. I'll love this person, but I don't want to hang out with them on Fridays and Saturdays. Or all of this person, but I would prefer not to worship with them, not have them go to my church, but I'll still, I'll still love them, God. Or the worst one is I'll love this person even though they don't love other people as best as I do. We elevate ourselves into thinking that we're doing it right when we're so far off track sometimes from actually fostering an intentional community where all people are welcome. And if all people are made in God's image, then when we do this, when we silo ourselves, we're preventing ourselves from knowing God on a deeper level. Friends, if we want to live into the mission of being authentic followers of Jesus, it doesn't just mean welcoming everyone to the table. It means also welcoming people to the table who don't believe that everyone is welcome to the table. If Peter never would have gotten that, we would not be here. 
And I can tell that some of you don't like this because sometimes I don't like it. It's so hard. It means that if you're liberal, you have to love someone that's conservative. And if you're pro-life, you have to love someone that's pro-choice. And if you're LGBTQ affirming, you have to love someone who is not. And it is so hard. And in this city, it is the most uncommon thing. Which is why we really need to step in to this call that we have as a church and make sure it is a place where we can invite everyone to be their authentic self with whatever identity they're coming with. It's a weighty call on us as a church. And even though it is uncommon in this city, I believe that God is calling us to take that up. We are called to be uncommon. So here's what I believe the magic formula is, and then I'm going to wrap things up for you. The magic formula to creating an intentional community where people can live into uh, what God has called them to be. They can live into being authentic followers of Jesus. It takes courageous participation and humility to accept that you might be wrong. It takes courageous participation and humility to hope that you are wrong. And offering grace to yourself and your neighbor along the journey. So bringing this all, to, all together, uh, I've basically put before you three different aspects of what becoming an authentic follower of Jesus looks like. And my challenge to you today is to think critically about where you fall and if you want to be part of fulfilling this mission we have as a church. As Pastor Kevin said, we're entering into a season of transition and we can either embrace this call and move confidently into the future that God has planned for us or we can stay stagnant. But I don't think any of us want that. I certainly don't. I want to go with the first option. So for some of you, you might be leaning towards the first thing that we discussed. Taking this next step, it might look like getting on your knees before God for the first time and actually being vulnerable before him. I promise you he already knows everything that's going on in your head and in your heart. And he wants to transform you. He wants to move in your life. But you have to open yourself up to God. You have to actually talk to him and be vulnerable before the Lord. And if that's something that you want some help doing, we're going to have folks that are in the back during communion. And they would love to pray with you, pray for you, lead you through that. It might mean being vulnerable with other people for once. And the best way to do that is to join a dinner party. I know that we talk about them like they are places, you know, to eat together and have fun and make friends, but they're intentional. These spaces are designed so that you will grow in your faith and grow in your relationships with others, and you will feel comfortable being vulnerable with one another. For others of you, it might, it might look like the second thing that we discussed. It might mean putting down the identity that you are what you do, you are a role that you play, or you are something that has happened to you in the past. It might mean taking your identity and letting God either use it in your future or remove it. And then taking on this new identity of being a beloved son or daughter of Jesus as the ultimate way you see yourself. And for some of you, you might have gotten through these first two things and you're just not living into this community authentically and intentionally. And you might be aching for more. And if that's you, I want to commission you to really believe that we can be a space where all are welcome. We can be a space in a city like D.C. that is not divided. And if you're in that boat, I'm going to invite you to take ownership of our future. And that looks like 
serving on a team, using your gifts, maybe stepping into a leadership role, taking ownership of what we will become together. Now, wherever you are, please remember uh, all the times that Peter failed and doubted God. Like, he was a dense dude. Literally, every time that God spoke to him, he had to do it in series of three. God built the church on broken people. Remember that in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And just like Peter, as broken as he was, God's going to continue building this church by partnering with all of us as we aim to be that authentic person. So as you think about reconciling that inward self with how you portray yourself to be outwardly, remember God's grace. Remember he already knows you and knows what's going on through your mind. Being an authentic follower of Jesus is not an easy journey, but it's what we are called to do. And I'm happy that we're going to step into this new season doing it together. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for just meeting us here in this space, Lord. I pray that as we continue to worship, as we continue uh, to seek your face during our time here, that you would move, move in this space, Lord. I pray for anyone that is falling into that space of just wanting to be vulnerable before you for once. They are so afraid of what that looks like, God. And I pray that you would you would just soften their heart. They would be open to meeting with you in a new way and that they would, for the first time, be able to be vulnerable before you. God, I pray for folks who are putting their identity in a way that they have defined by themselves. And I pray, Lord, that you, you would either take that and use it or take it and remove it and that you would work through folks so that they see that their ultimate identity is being your beloved son or daughter. And I pray, God, also for the people that are so committed to this church. And I pray that you would work in them, that you would commission them to take ownership over creating an authentic space where all people are welcome, an intentional space where all people are welcome. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to share these words and I pray, God, now that as we worship you, we just, you would just continue to just speak to us. And that as we leave this place today, Lord, that you would continue to speak to us then. That these scriptures would ruminate in people's hearts, in their minds. And that they would ultimately be drawn closer to you. In your name we pray. Amen.